there is huge power in grief. There really is. There's power in, in understanding what loss is like. But, you know, as well as being pronatal and heteronormative, our culture's really like, yeah, let's be happy. Let's just be happy all the time. Let's never, ever admit that things are hard sometimes. Things are hard a lot of the time. In most lives, things are hard a lot of the time. That's all right. <laughs> it's, it's not bad and wrong. And so many clients that I see both in my private practice and in the placements I'm still doing feel bad because they're struggling with their lives, that they're not okay with hard things. Well, no one has to be okay with hard things, except that we live in a culture that tells us not only do we have to be okay with hard things, we have to pretend they're not happening. Welcome to the Full Stop Podcast with Sarah Lawrence, Berenice Smith, and me, Michael Hughes. And if this is your first time here, our podcast is centered around supporting the Childless Not Point Choice community and our aim is to be a focal point for the community and with all our special guests, show you how to manage your grief and give a voice to the issues specific to us. And by example, show that a full and happy life can be had without those children we dearly wanted. Now this episode, we felt really privileged to have as our guest, Stella Duffy, OBE. Now if I was to read out the entire list of achievements, we'd be here for a long time. But in short, she has written 17 novels, 14 plays, 70 short stories. She has worked for 35 years in her theatre, is the co-founder of Fun Palaces. She is a qualified yoga teacher and is an existential psychotherapist in training. And by the end of this episode, I'm sure you will agree, she is so much more. So let's meet Stella. Anyway, welcome, Stella. Thank you. To the Full Stop Podcast. Very exciting to be here. We're thrilled to bits. I'm a bit kind of like... Oh, well, don't, really, don't be, because A, I'm not Carol Ann, and B, I'm not Stella Creasy. And believe me, <laughs> um, I, have been thought, I have been thought to be Carol Ann Duffy more than once before now. I've never been Poet Laureate. Well, you know, lesbians called Duffy, right? We've got to be the same person. Um and, and just last week, uh, a, a major festival tweeted that Stella Creasy was doing something, but with my Instagram handle, because all Stellas are the same. All Duffies are the same and all Stellas are the same. So, you know, I hope you're not going to be disappointed. <laughs> no, definitely not. We're, we, we, we do know one thing and we do know who our <laughs> guests are. We're, we're quite cool. Well, like, might well not done. know who we are, but. You know. <laughs> Don't need that. No one needs that. Uh, none of us need that they don't um I feel like we ought to introduce you but um kind of almost you don't need any introduction but given oh, what I'm you just said sure I do. we should <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to attempt this interrupt okay. me if I I'm completely wrong if you got it from wikipedia you're going to be completely wrong but go ahead okay give it a go. all right I'm going to give it a go <laughs> let's let's go with this shall we yeah so I believe that you yes. have written 17 novels yes I have right Lovely. Good. I actually saw the documentary. <laughs> I'm going to digress slightly. I saw the documentary. They repeated it the other week when you tried to do the documentary. Film it is. OK, look, I've just got to say, 
it's on. so weird to me that they keep putting this on. It's over 12 years old. I know. I have never wanted to write a Mills and Boone in my life. In the same way that all of those documentaries are, I'm on a journey to find this out. Some absolutely lovely people who ended up becoming friends thought, why don't we ask Stella Duffy, who is like so far <laughs> from being a romance writer, if she would like to do this, because it will make it interesting. And it was really interesting. But um, yeah, I, what's so funny is that then I get loads of, of Instagram and Twitter <laughs> people saying, and did you ever finish it? I'm like, dear God, no. <laughs> Of course I didn't. didn't. I'm really I glad you didn't. Yeah, it, it's not the and, and that it's not for me. You're right. It's for other people. I think if I've written anything that would con be considered romances, they're much more like anti-romances. So it was a great documentary to make, not least because it's not an easy thing to do. But then mm. <laughs> no writing is an easy thing to do, in my opinion. Um, so no, I've written 17 novels and none of them have been a Mills and Boone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, you're the founder of Fun Palaces. I am. We actually have Fun Palace in Cambridge. I'm very excited about that. The, well, there's 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 been, uh, I think the most we ever had was 338 or 432. Um, I founded Fun Palaces in 2013 to support communities to co-create their own cultural events. This is after like 30 years in the arts, being sick to death of the arts paying lip service to community. Um, basically, the arts just wanting more audiences, which is not the same as community integration. Um, and also the, you know, the inequities in the arts and the, the lack of equalities and the lack of diversity. So to support communities to create their own cultural events. And I only left just over a year ago. And it's a thriving, astonishingly thriving organisation that has had, I think, 750,000 people take part. Um, with people, you know, sharing their own skills, people sharing their own skills in their communities. Um, it's an annual event, but it's led to lots of other really exciting things. So I'm really proud of that, but I never meant to be a producer and I, I've never meant to do anything I do. And I thought it was a one-off. And then the other people thought, no, no, this is an annual event. And so then I stayed being a producer and it was, I, I don't like that. I'm good at making speeches and I'm really good at uh, fiddling with things behind the scenes, but all that other hard work, that's not very me. <laughs> so, so, so I'm deeply proud of it but I was also really glad to hand it over to people who are better at that kind of work than I am I think that's it isn't it it's amazing I think sometimes where life takes us into these yeah. unexpected places yeah. because of something that we do mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. we believe in yeah and other people latch onto that and it grows and you suddenly think what what happened and then you're forced to record a podcast at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, the I three know. of you. Week it's after week ridiculous. after week, look at you. You thought you were only going to do a three-hour three, three hour podcast, and now how long is this? Years, right? Ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Ridiculous. We're suddenly here. And the weird thing, I suppose, is that one thing that always gets catches us up sometimes, or me anyway, at least, mm -hmm. about Michael and Sarah, is that you suddenly think, oh, it's, it's because of a, a loss. Mm -hmm. of a mm -hmm. life that mm -hmm. we all wanted to have mm -hmm. that we end up doing something that doesn't fill the gap but it's kind of you lose something gain something it's like yeah. a offsetting absolutely it definitely doesn't fill the gap back to the 17 novels a friend of mine who is a mother of two once said to me your books are kind of your babies aren't they oh. honestly it was all I could do not to punch her um really good friend dear friend and 
And it's like, well, no, they don't smile at you. They don't teeth. They're not screaming and they didn't come out of my vagina. So no, they're not. Um, and I knew what she meant as a concept. And I do think this happens quite a lot to those of us who are childless not by choice or childless by circumstance and to some people who, who have chosen to be child-free. But there is an assumption that we are filling a gap or actually head on side, pity face, filling a void. Um, and it's not, you know, it's just, it's just another thing. And perhaps in some ways my life ended up having a bit more time to create things than I had expected it would, maybe. But I know loads of people with children who've created amazing things. So I just don't think it works like that. I, it is much more what you just said, Bernice, that it's accidental choices lead to amazing things quite often. Quite mm. often. That's yeah. it. Absolutely, yeah. I don't think any of us would be sitting here talking to each other had we not been through what we've been. And yeah. you could say all roads lead to something, and isn't that amazing? But mm -hmm. actually, life just happens yeah. in the way that it is, and sometimes opportunities arise. But yeah, mm -hmm. you said this, the the void is, yeah, it, it is that pity face. It's like someone's oh. trying to to <laughs> fill it in order to understand and empathise better. Yes. But empathy fail completely uh. <laughs> yeah I, I actually think empathy is a much overused word I really do because it, it so often turns into sympathy or antipathy <laughs> because people people are scared by what they don't understand all of us are scared by what we don't understand I think any of us who became childless when we didn't want to be childless also found it scary we didn't understand what it was. We live in a pronatal culture. We are taught from childhood that this is our path. And it is for 70 to 75% of the population, which isn't everybody. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah. you know, I don't know about you, I'm sort of seeing an awful lot now because it's the run up to, to Mother's Day and of course, yes. International Women's Day. Yes. Oh, there was some great stuff um, Jodie was putting out with Gateway Women. On. It's like, it's not International Mother's Day, people. It's International Women's Day. There are plenty of women and non-binary people and trans people who are not parents. You know, there's plenty of us who are not parents. Our, it's a thing I've said quite a lot, but I, the idea that you're only a graduate woman if you're a mother, and if you're not a mother, you're an undergraduate woman, and you haven't quite got there. And weirdly, at the same time, our culture hates mothers. You know, I mean, look at mum's net. Um, mothers rip each other apart and they, they say, that's a good mother, that's a terrible mother. Society rips mothers apart. And that perhaps I also think might be why it is harder for parents to understand non-parents. Because it is hard to be a parent, right? It's really mm. hard to raise a human being. And so you have to make it super special as opposed to normal because it is also super ordinary. It happens to the majority of people. And if you're doing a thing that happens to the majority of people, but it, it, it pulls your heart intensely and you're constantly terrified of getting it wrong, you have to make it super special. Otherwise, otherwise you're going to have to admit that it's really difficult most of the time. And there's great rewards, I'm sure, but there are great rewards and loads of things. Mm. Yeah, that's it. I think it is. I mean, you're right. I think it's very hard to be a parent. 
and get wrapped up in that kind of culture and to go outside of that is actually quite terrifying yeah, really do. I mean, I've, in fact I have two people I know writing novels just at the moment about how difficult it is to be a mother writing those novels while knowing they will find them really hard to sell because you're just not allowed to say it my dad was very clear, father of seven kids. My dad was very clear, you don't have to have kids. You don't have to be a parent. It's not the best thing in the world. Not a great thing to tell your six-year-old, admittedly, but, but that was his truth, you know. He hadn't set out to be a father of very many children, but he was working class and Catholic and it happened. And it wasn't his favourite thing. And I think that's true of a lot of people but they're not allowed to say it either. Just as we're not allowed to say, hey, eventually for many of us, being child-free becomes a good thing. That's where I am now. And it's taken, God, over 20 years, over 20 years. But I don't particularly want a 21 year old now. I wanted the little baby that I would grow with and would grow with me or the small child. And that's not what happened. And I don't want someone landing a 21 year old on my doorstep now because I didn't already love them for 21 years and it would be completely different. You, there's some good nodding going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sarah, you speak, sorry. That's okay. I was going to say, I think that's so true. I think that's part of the healing is kind of realizing actually I wouldn't want a, a nine-year-old now, mm-hmm. even though my child would be nine, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want mm-hmm. one sort of just, Oh, here I am I think what you've said is just hit the nail straight on the head really isn't it it's you get attached to your child Mm. but then you wouldn't want Mm. uh, a replacement as such all the parents I know so I'm 59 and when we were trying my wife and I was in my mid-30s and I mean this I'll just I'll just give you some background to that Her family, her parents had refused to meet me for nine and a half years. Um, Partly the gay stuff, partly they're um, from the Iraqi Indian Jewish community, and I'm not Jewish, I'm not Mizrahi. Um, It was really, really difficult. And we both think that had we had more support from them from the beginning, we might have tried sooner. It might have worked, we don't know. Um, but anyway, what happened was that I was 36, we had a baby father, we were going to, we were all ready to give it a go. And I um, had a, put, I literally woke up one morning with a three centimetre tumour in my right breast. It wasn't there the night before. I was really fortunate, <laughs> in a not fortunate kind of way, that, that there was an infection around the tumour, which meant that it stuck out because it, it had been growing and it was quite large by the time it was found. Um, It took a long time to get diagnosed and I had surgery and then afterwards they said, okay, so we think you need to have chemotherapy. And I remember really clearly sitting with my wife, the oncologist, the breast care nurse and my consultant surgeon in this tiny room at the hospital and having done a ton of Googling beforehand. And this is 20, 20, 22 years ago now. Um, The, the oncologist sort of said, and so we'll put you on this, this, and this, and it'll be uh, six rounds, may probably take up six months because people normally need a break in the middle because it's too hard, blah, blah. And I looked at him and I went, what are the chances of it making me infertile? And he went, oh, 
about 80% easily. And I said, okay, well, we are literally in the process of trying to have children with a baby father. And he went, oh, whoa, whoa, well, maybe, maybe 70%. I mean, he, it was just awful. And then, of course, we realised they absolutely assumed that a gay couple didn't want to have children. Now, that was over 20 years ago, but I don't think it's a lot better now. So for me, one of the difficulties with the infertility community is that it's really heterosexual and heteronormative. And so we haven't felt like it was for us either. Um, and, and that's so it took me a long time to find my place within that group of people as well. Um, anyway, to their credit, despite the fact that their mouths, their jaws dropped open and it was horrendous, to their credit, they then got us into the fertility unit straight away. And I had, uh, I did a very quick um, egg retrieval, which was traumatic and horrendous. Those of us <laughs> who've done it know it is. Um, I wish it, like, it needs way more invasive terms. Egg retrieval's horrible. It's painful. Well, my experience is, is that. Anyway, uh, six got um, six uh, eggs and five embryos were made, which were then frozen to try after chemo. Then I started chemo. When I finished chemo, my wife tried to get pregnant with our baby father, uh, got pregnant and miscarried and never got pregnant again. And then three years after I was diagnosed, I tried with those frozen embryos and one by one, they all died inside me. And brilliantly, a friend of mine once said, oh, so you were pregnant for three years. That's what we are when they're frozen and put away and we're waiting. They were gestating for all that time. And so I didn't just have cancer. I had cancer plus infertility. And I didn't just have infertility. I had cancer, terrifying, mortality, ghastliness. And, uh, and it, they came at the same time, literally on the same day. I was, you know, with the diagnosis of this is how bad your cancer has been and the treatment's going to make you infertile. And so I felt for a long time really outside of the the childlessness communities that it, I, we didn't fit we weren't like the others we didn't belong and and i think everyone does to a, to some degree um but we you know full stop podcast we don't get a happy accident right gay people right. don't get a happy accident and i think that's good and bad because for heterosexual couples they really have to make a conscious choice. Okay, so our intimacy, our sex life is gonna be different and put away that potential of maybe a happy accident. For us, we had to go, we will stop. Oh God, I want to cry. <laughs> okay. We had to go, we will stop trying. Mm. And people said the stupidest things. Somebody I know said, well, why don't you just go out and get drunk and fuck some people? Literally, that's what she said. That's a man. It's like, oh, A, I wouldn't do that to my wife, but B, I wouldn't do that to those men. What a shitty thing to do to some strangers. Use them as a sperm donor without even telling them. What a crappy thing to do. So it was really hard to find a place to be, you know? And, and I said this to, to Jody before, you know, she, she took 10 years too long for me to found Gateway Women. <laughs> you know, there, 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 weren't, there weren't groups. I mean, I, I 
found a cancer therapist, but I kind of had to educate her in infertility stuff. Um, but, and all of this has brought me to a place now where I'm currently, I'm three quarters away through a existential psychotherapy doctorate. I started my psychotherapy work with private clients just two months ago. That was kind of through my second cancer, my second big brush, not brush, <laughs> smack, punch with my own mortality. Um, and and I, I'm glad I've had the life I've had. I'm really glad I'm where I am now. I've recently been working with some cancer patients for whom their treatments are making them infertile. They don't know about my story. They don't need to. I mean, they could Google me and find out, but it, it's not relevant in my working with them. But I do have a different understanding of what that's like. And I think I, f I feel it's useful, but it's taken so much work to get here, you know, so much work. As the three of you know, only too well, it takes a lot of work to get to a place where I can look at my life and go, oh, I'm so glad I've got the life I have, not the life I dreamed. Sorry, that's a long, long-winded way of... No. Thank you so much. Sharing. Thank you. Thank you. I so much. I'm sitting here listening <laughs> and thinking, gosh, there's so much that, yes, it shouldn't be that level of loneliness and isolation mm. and pain mm. to get to the point where you can say, I'm glad. Mm. Yeah. That shouldn't happen, but it does. And it's <laughs> one of the things with the podcast, I think mm. it's the honour and privilege of meeting so many people. Shush, dog. Sorry, dog. <laughs> my, my, my cat might start screaming soon too. She really hates it when I animal close the door on her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's, oh, do you love your animals because you don't have children? Fur babies. Mm. Head, no, on, actually, side. Head <laughs> on side, pity face. Exactly, yes. Yeah, all of that. And let's oh, let's um, yeah. equate Mother's Day to, to that, which I've already had one through. Oh, dear God, have you? I have. Yeah, it was, um, it was um, the... <laughs> can I mention the brand name? I'm going to mention the brand name. Go for it. It's our podcast. Huh. Yeah. Uh, something to be Dog Daddy um, and a tenuous kind of thing, Dog Daddy, and um, to do with some kind of like um, hose pipe for dogs that wash them down kind of thing. You know, like just use a general kind of okay. like hose would be fine. You know, I yeah. if dogs would hate being hosed down, mine would. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tenuous kind of link as to why you might want a 20% discount on, on Mother's Day um, yeah. from Dog Daddy. And I'm like, yeah, no, really. No, no it's fine. No, yeah. honestly, not, yeah. no, no. I mean, and then due respect to all our listeners who do call their um, pets and um, fur babies quite understand, not a term I use, but a huge respect to you if you do. That's fine. Yeah, but it's, it's not an instead, is it? It's not know, an instead. No, it, and that, not. that's what I mind about it. It's when people talk about it as an instead. Yeah. 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 It's the whole thing of like, oh, she's your fur baby, Molly. Mm. And um, I said, well, no, because she didn't, uh, the IVF failed. And <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, I'd, I'd get my money back if, if that was. Yeah, really. <laughs> seriously, you know, that, that's not right. Like, I went there for a, a, a baby, not a dog. That was the rescue shelter. Um, then, of course, you get onto the whole thing of like adoption, rescue, 
Um, oh, oh, the adoption. No, no, no. Okay, so our experience of the adoption question, which is like just we yeah. all know the most. Have you thought about adoption? It's like, oh my god, no, I haven't. Oh, thank uh, you so much. No, um, we did think about adoption. We were told, uh, well, at the time, bearing in mind, twenty years ago, twenty, well, fifteen years ago, when we finally went, this is never going to be our thing. Uh, gay couples were were not welcome to adopt. Things have changed, but uh, there was one London borough that was we knew was very welcoming of gay couples adopting. Even so, I was told you are more likely to get a child with lots of challenges than you are a child who is just fine, but just needs a home. And I was like, right. So what you want is you want to give the couple that you already think doesn't fit a kid that doesn't fit. You don't want to even that up for that poor kid, do you? And also, because I'd had cancer, she was like, well, we'll need to wait five years at least to make sure that you don't have cancer again and die. I was like, okay. And I, I, would, I, I think that would be a great thing to do to all people trying to have children. Make them wait five years so that they don't have cancer and die. My other bugbear about did you... Uh, consider adoption is if it's okay to say that to us why is it not okay to say that to anyone who's pregnant like just yeah. look at their lovely belly when they go oh my god I'm so excited I'm having baby cake hmm, did you consider adoption because there's loads of children who want homes but of course you wouldn't say that because it would be rude and horrible so why do people say that to people who don't have children it's the weirdest thing in the world yeah yeah the human see. ability to want to fix everything uh, Without yeah, thinking about seriously what and, that fix might be. Well, and also that it's not a fix, is it? It's a yeah. different thing. It's a totally different thing. And and you know, thinking of friends who've been adopted, and thinking of friends who have adopted children, it can be a brilliant thing. It can also just the same as having children not work. You know, it, it can it can work. It cannot work in just the same way. Yeah statistics are quite grim I think on that and it's the emotional stuff too because we tried as well yeah. to adopt we did um so our IVF failed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my husband's older than I am and we went through the start of the adoption process had a look at all of that went along did all the the, the chats the polite mm -hmm. chats and of course mm -hmm. they can't tell you um mm -hmm. so you have to ask because mm -hmm. you can't say are we going to be okay? And it was again, same thing. Well, you might get a child with, with issues um, mm -hmm. if you get through. And I said, what are the chances given we have an age gap? And they were kind of like, well, actually you probably won't. Oh, well, why put us through this then? And you have to wait anyway, because yeah. they want to make sure you're over the IVF. And of course yeah. no one's ever over IVF. No, it's I mean, our well, narrative. No one's ever, grief is ongoing. Grief comes in mm -hmm. waves. Yeah. And no one's ever over the things that make them who they mm. are. Yeah. And um, oh, there was a really good one once I went to do a book group. And this was really early for me. I mean, it was like maybe a year after my diagnosis. And I was doing a book group with a, a novel and somebody said, you know, are you having children? And I said, explained why not. And as I was explaining why not, this, this woman looked over at me and she went, you still sound quite angry. And I was like, oh, I am, <laughs> I am angry. I thought, you know, I'm the youngest of seven kids. They're all parents. My, par my, my parents were clearly very fertile. Um, I was very fertile until I got cancer. I am angry. And she went, mm, yeah, 
be really good for you to sort out that anger. And I was like, oh, okay. And like, I don't know. And I mean, speaking now as a, as a psychotherapist and working, working with human beings who have all sorts of things going on for them, loads of us are angry. We've got lots of things to be angry about. I mean, what's wrong with being angry? It's like being angry is a bad thing. I do know what she means. I had taken in that my anger was bad too. I had taken in that my bitterness was bad as well. And it's only been in like the last two years that I finally let myself, in the same way that I've, it's taken a very long time for me to address my internalized homophobia. I think I finally let myself address my own internalized pronatalism that I too had believed I'd be a better person if I was a parent. I too had believed I'd be a proper member of society and understand all the miracles of, you know, what love really is, that kind of thing, if I was a parent. And I too had pretended that I wasn't resentful. And I let myself feel my resentment. And it was the most, among the most freeing things I've ever done. Really bloody hard. <laughs> really bloody hard but so valuable I let myself feel pissed off that I didn't get some of what I wanted and other people did really easily I just let myself feel it and I felt awful and guilty and bad and and eventually I felt released but you know our culture doesn't want us to resent and it doesn't want us to be angry and it thinks that bitterness is wrong and bad and it's going to damage us and for those of us who've had cancer twice, we also live in a culture that, that, that has a myth about, you know, your bitterness, your anger, your unhappiness makes you sick. It literally doesn't. <laughs> I mean, there are so many studies. It absolutely doesn't. But that's a story that's out there. Yes. Yeah, it is. So many myths and tales that mm. actually become mm. quite mm. infectious because mm -hmm. we may we may feel something different inside mm -hmm. and think actually I don't think that's quite right but because it's pushed on us in yeah. the way that pronatalism is and you don't it's just exposure you get these great avalanches of pronatalism mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and myth that happen mm -hmm. around certain key days mm -hmm. um, why on earth we have to have Mother's Day twice in March and May um, <laughs> is unbelievable. Like, well, let's just do it twice. Why that's, not? That's because of the Americanization of British culture. We have to. Have, I mean, the March Mother's Day is bonkers anyway. It's oh, God. it's 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 the Annunciation is why we get it, and it's based. I mean, originally it was a pagan spring festival. Yay! Mm -hmm. Let's have that. Let's have Glestra. I don't know how you pronounce it, but however the Romans said it. It's about uh, new life and the earth turning. Brilliant. Let's do that one. Oh, no, I know. Let's slam Christianity on top of it and say it's when Mary, a 14-year-old, was with, a, with, a, with an aging husband, was told she was pregnant by an angel. And that's what we're celebrating. It's, it's yes. the Feast of the Annunciation. Mm. And one, then, wonders, one wonders if actually maybe if we don't want to go back and look at the earth and the new mm -hmm. life, new spring, because well, let's be honest, there's a whole climate emergency going exactly, on. Exactly. A little too exactly, close to home. <laughs> exactly. Totally. Yes. 
yeah you get these avalanches i think of pronatalism but actually mm. you, you absorb it we all absorb it mm. and it's so unhealthy so yeah. so unhealthy because yes you start to question your choices and mm. and your attitude mm. i'm sure that you know we've all sarah michael we've all been accused of being angry i think um well actually we've tried it with the podcast you know we've always mm. sort of tried to be welcoming and and we 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 do laugh but mm-hmm. we cry and we do mm-hmm. get angry. But mm-hmm. if we were absolutely angry and bitter, mm-hmm. that's not, I know some people, are, some people have said that who have been outside of the mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. and have said, you know, okay, I'm a parent and I've listened, but you're all laughing. Why is that? <laughs> well, well I you know, I, I, well, because we're, we're human beings <laughs> and actually sometimes yeah. there's quite a lot to laugh about. <laughs> sometimes we laugh at you. Because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> frankly, I don't understand you being a parent either, and some of the stuff you come out with. But not to be anti-parent, mm-hmm. but to be. Let's if we have to listen to you, mm-hmm. you listen to us, and actually, all the diversity is within our child's exactly. community. But the, but the, the pronatalism isn't any good for parents either. No. It's just it, it it puts it puts parenting on a pedestal that no human being, no sane human being, could achieve you know and which is exactly what the christian co-opted mother's day does you know the concept of the virgin mary particularly for those of us brought up catholic as the best mother in the world because she can willingly give up her son to death right it's like oh okay right that's a scary scary myth it's a scary one and it's not that's not good for mothers or for not mothers it's not good for any parent or not parent this idea that you can only be good at that if all you are is totally self-sacrificing it's a dreadful role model for children it's it's interesting i think that this bitterness this um this concept excuse me of bitterness it's a lot i hear it a lot from people that obviously come to me as a counsellor mm-hmm. and it's like I always sort of say well, what's wrong with being pissed mm-hmm. off what's mm-hmm. wrong with being angry I don't mm-hmm. think that that's bitter I think that's just a human experience of something that's absolutely shit yeah totally but the phrases are bitter dried up right mm. they so go together and dried up is our 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 witheredness it 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 goes, it goes again to our ageist culture. And for me, physically, my body did leap from 36 to 55. You know, my doctoral research is in the embodied experience of postmenopause, and I've been postmenopausal since, since then. And dear God, our culture hates menopausal people. <laughs> I mean, you know, the the despair that we might be ageing. And one of the reasons it struggles with postmenopausal women is because of the reversion to infertility. So we start off infertile. Puberty happens. Whether or not we know that we're fertile, but that's what we are told puberty means. With menopause, and there is an andropause, it doesn't get talked about anywhere near enough because... Rolling Stone old men keep having babies, but it does exist. Um, there is an andropause, and it has got had so little research into it that we know very little about how it affects um, cisgendered men, but it does exist. 
anyway, with certainly with a with a cisgender female menopause, we are reversing to infertility. And that happens to 100% of cisgendered women and some trans people and some non-binary people. And what that means is that we become valueless in a pronatal culture. So, so that's why we then get so many postmenopausal women saying how terrible it is. And they are experiencing what we have been experiencing for decades. They're experiencing being disvalued because our uterus and our ovaries are considered what, what, what counts. Literally, to go back to uh, Mother's Day and the Annunciation, hallowed be thy womb, right? It's, it's like that's, that's the centre of us rather than part of us. And it's deeply problematic. And I, and you know, in therapy terms, to not allow our anger, to not allow our resentment, to not allow, it's, it's, it's exactly as damaging as not allowing our grief and to skip straight from upset to loss and not let anger be part of that is, it's brutalizing. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I was raging when I found mm-hmm. out I couldn't have kids, absolutely mm-hmm. laid waste to a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it was it was good and bad, you know. Some of it I haven't missed and some of it I've had to sort of make some apologies for. But there, there's, there is um, some power in that that fury, isn't there? That blind rage when actually you feel very powerless. Yeah, totally. And I think there's, I think there's power in all of them. I had a a year-long placement in my training um, at a hospice, working a lot with with people in deep grief. And there is huge power in grief. There really is. There's power in in understanding what loss is like. But, you know, as well as being pronatal and heteronormative, our culture's really like, let's be happy. Let's just be happy all the time. Let's never, ever admit that things are hard sometimes. Things are hard a lot of the time. In most lives, things are hard a lot of the time. That's all right. (laughs) It's not bad and wrong. And so many clients that I see both in my private practice and in the placements I'm still doing feel bad because they're struggling with their lives that they're not okay with hard things what no one has to be okay with hard things except that we live in a culture that tells us not only do we have to be okay with hard things we have to pretend they're not happening don't be angry don't be pissed off suffer more do people do people i think in the last two years with the pandemic mm. I, noticed, I, I don't know if it's true of perhaps the, the work you've done but also sarah with you too and your practice is that people maybe lack there's so much on being happy mm. and trying mm. to be happy and mm. and there's the, the happiness project and all these mm-hmm. things that, mm-hmm. that happen mm-hmm. and the, then it's harder to find the tools to cope in a pandemic with everything that's been thrown at us and if you've suffered grief and you've had loss is there more in our toolboxes that gets us through this in a slightly more 
logical way than maybe perhaps other people who put all their eggs into happiness basket mm. you know you can't, where does mm. that where does that fall i really worry about the the use of the term happy and happiness i think it's a mistranslation um so it's a and it's come with the secular mindfulness work Secular mindfulness is based on Zen Buddhism. I've been practicing Buddhism for over 30 years. It's not the Buddhism I practice, but secular mindfulness is based on Zen Buddhism. And Zen Buddhism talks about contentment and acceptance, not happiness. And contentment doesn't mean purring like a content cat. It means an acknowledgement of what is and an acceptance that there is light and dark, good and bad, that everything is mixed. It's not polarities of one or the other. And when we are told, I mean, you know, it's like how brutalizing the American dream is. You know, when we are told anyone can be happy, I, I genuinely think it's a mistranslation and I think it's a really dangerous one. I think anyone can learn through experience, through grief, through loss, through anger, through joy, through pleasure, through intimacy to be accepting of what is and finding our way through it but I don't think anyone can or should need to learn to be happy I think it's I think it's really dangerous actually Stella mm. when I come to the UK can I have dinner with you <laughs> yeah baby I mean, you know, those of us those of us who grew up in New Zealand, despite being born in South London, um, you know, we, we can put aside our traditional Aussie Kiwi antipathy, uh, and um, and we can definitely have dinner together. I, I knew I knew this would I I knew this would you be knew a I'd session. Bring it up. No, no, no! I knew this would be a session on wisdom, and oh. um, I'm. I'm sitting here just gobsmacked listening to you. So I would love for that to continue. So mm -hmm. I'd love to sit at the table with you and chat. Me too. Because you're Me just too. so, so full of wisdom. Oh God, I, I please, I, no, don't do that. Because then I just sound like a wanker. Um, it's, it's your podcast. <laughs> you must keep that in. Um, <laughs> oh, don't I, you worry. I, That's I, 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 I do want to have a wisdom born of Growth. <sighs> Gilteria again. That's interesting. But uh, I don't. I don't feel wise. I feel uh, lived. <laughs> yeah. And I and I bet the three of you do too, right? And I hope the listeners do too. However, wherever they are in this, I hate the word journey, but you know, process, process. Let's go with that. Wherever they are in this process. Um, journey is so you see the problem with journey um yeah and yes michael of course we can have dinner um the problem with journey is is the bloody hero's journey and bloody joseph campbell and bloody american movies that have gone everything's a hero's journey and joseph campbell saying where the hero stumbles there you will find gold and that's what every bloody movie has been made about ever since he ever did it. And you have to go through your trauma in order to gain wisdom and knowledge and take it back to the tribe. And you know what? Some losses are just shit. And it's okay for those losses to be shit. And some, some ghastly things happen and we don't learn much from them, if anything. My, one of my sisters died when I was 18, suddenly. And my mum who was 60 at the time, 
just lost it. She just lost it. And why shouldn't she? You know, her daughter died suddenly at the age of 33. And I don't think my mother ever made meaning out of that. And nor does she have to, right? And then another sister's son was killed in an accident when he was 22. And I had a lot to do with those kids when they were growing up for various reasons. And I don't think there's any meaning in that brilliant nephew's death. And I, I want to allow our losses, our infertility losses, because we wouldn't be having this discussion otherwise, as not having to have made us wise or warm or good or better. They can just be shit and we learned some shit, right? So the shit thing happened and we learned some shit. So the, the, I, I, I would love to be wise, but I'm only 59, Michael. Let me be wise when I'm 89. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. it, but it's true though, isn't it? Because if you say, I just, it is, it's just, we're, we're here because life's shit. Yeah, yeah, it's been it, a bit really crap, and I think there's an element of kind of people have said to probably all of us at some mm-hmm. point in the in the podcast. You know, we put this thing together on the, basically on the a scrap of paper, and here we still are. And it's because there's so much shit to talk about. You know, yeah. we we sit, we put an episode plan together, and we've got a list of kind of what we want <laughs> to do next. And actually, it's just basically about talking about because oh, life is actually really quite shit, and we're not really imparting wisdom we're just kind of giving you this is the benefit of what we know but it could yes. all be completely wrong disclaimer we're not right but um, also people listen because they want to be confirmed in yeah. the, their truth that this is hard and we yeah. are allowed to laugh about that and cry about that and then go oh for god's sake i'm so sick of banging on about how hard it is let's just you know have a drink well i haven't drunk for four and a half years but let's just you know have a cup of tea I want to share something with you because I looked it up this morning, so I'm going to. Um, Because I'm doing doctorate in existential psychotherapy, me, youngest of seven kids, first in my family, not just to go to university, but to finish high school, right? And, um, you know, lots, several of my siblings went back to school as adults and all of that. But I was the first one there was enough money to keep at home long enough, not have to send, not to literally have to send out to work. So it's really weird for me to even say I'm doing doctorate at my age, but it also had to wait until this long. Some of the people I'm training with said, why did you wait this long to train as a a psychotherapist? And I'm like, well, psychotherapy used to not like queer people, for one. You know, um, the the major organisations did not welcome out gay people because being gay meant that you still had not fully understood who you were because if you had you'd be heterosexual and that was not very long ago even in the 1990s I mean we haven't in Britain we have still not had all the organizations and the government confirm the memorandum of agreement that conversion therapy is dangerous you know that work towards that has been going on for a very long time I didn't know that I had no idea yeah, the American psych, I, th- I think it was something like 19, I don't know if it was 1971 or 1991, but it might be, I'm pretty certain it's 1991 when the American Psychological Association finally said that, that homosexuality was not um, a defence or a problem. 
So when I was interested in being a therapist in my 20s, not only was it far beyond my economic ability to train, but I also, when I made some inquiries, found out very quickly that my being out was problematic. Yeah, it's, and you know, that also makes me wonder about the people who did train 40 years ago who are still practicing. How, how was it for them to just sign up just these beliefs that being queer meant that there was still something wrong with you? Anyway, long-winded way of saying that, but I was recently reading some Kierkegaard. Now, I had never read Kierkegaard until I started training at all, and I thought this year, I'll do some. Here's some brilliance. This is about God because he's, he's all into God. However, I think this is fantastic for what we're talking about. Despair is, you can be in despair not wanting to be yourself, or you can be in despair wanting to be yourself. So two different kinds of despair. One is not wanting to be yourself. So for a time, I was in despair, not wanting to be the person who was having cancer that was causing her infertility. Mm-hmm. I was in despair, not wanting to be that me. Simultaneously, I was in despair, wanting to be myself, wanting to be the self that I perceived to be a mother. And that that was the only self I felt myself to truly be. And I mean, I really had it strong. I genuinely felt that my desire to parent, to biologically carry a child, to give birth was was deep, core, human part of me. And I'm sure lots of us have felt that. And And I was in despair both, not wanting to be the self that I was being and wanting to be a self I couldn't be. And I only read that this year, and I think it's a fantastic version of what despair is. It's Sometimes it's both, but often it's either I don't want to be the self I'm being now, or I do want to be a self that I want to be in the future and I can't get there yet. Mm. And I think such a lot. So maybe we have to add despair to the anger and the resentment and the bitterness that we're not allowed to feel. I mean, I... I can't count the times that people have said to me when I've said how painful it was that my cancer made me infertile. Oh, well, at least you're alive. I mean, I I don't think I'm lucky to have survived two cancers. I think the people who are lucky are people who didn't have cancer twice. Mm. You know, we're not... Sorry. I can't believe that... Oh, all the time. Seriously. When somebody has lost someone to cancer... As I have, my father died of lung cancer when I was 25. Um, as when people have lost a loved one to cancer, they quite often look at those of us who survive and assume that our cost, because there is always a cost to survival, that our costs are worth it and at least we're alive. And it's their grief speaking and it's their loss speaking, but God, it's a painful thing to hear. Yeah. I, yeah. There's no at least, you know, it goes back to that thing that we were saying earlier about people wanting to make it better. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, just let it be shit. <laughs> yeah. Just let Empath- it be shit. It's em- empathy fail mm. again. It, mm. It's, mm. Um, wow. Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I, the world's just, the world is a fucked up place mm. and humans mm. make it so, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we don't listen. We just mm. don't listen to what other people have said and I I hope that, that, that what 
we all do as a speaker and an advocate, all the things you do, Stella, and the things that we try to do as well, at least if one person learns and says, <laughs> I'm not going to say that, then yeah. our work here is done. But yeah. I mean, God, I, a learning of, course, curve. of course I'm glad I'm alive. But, Carl, yeah. you know, we're going to say that to somebody in Ukraine this morning? I bloody hope not. Yeah. I bloody hope we're not going to say to someone, my God, your life's really hard, so at least you're alive. Yeah. You know, unless, yeah, we, unless we expect that from everybody, including those with everything they ever wanted, mm. how dare people expect that of those mm. of us with loss? It's acknowledging that space and, and it's allowing people to acknowledge their grief and not invalidate people's feelings. Mm -hmm. There was a thing actually going around the other day about um, about the awful situation in Ukraine, but someone had posted something about at least I have a, a warm bed and a um, home. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I might maybe suffering with the problem, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the cost mm -hmm. of living crisis mm -hmm. in the UK, but I have a, a home and a bed. And, and my response was, but there's 14.6 million people yes in poverty in the UK yes. that was in September yeah. 2021 yeah. and there are people probably another four million who are going to be tipped over mm -hmm. because of the current living yeah. crisis in this country alone and I'm sure that's true of other parts of the world as well mm -hmm. and that is also a problem we are not doing oh. competitive problem solving is not no. welcome here uh, it, absolutely that's how it happens and yet it happens all the time and just yeah. as there's it, God, of course, of course, we need to be doing everything we can to help the people of Ukraine. But I'm, I don't know why we didn't do the same for the people of Syria. Yes, exactly. I mean, yeah. I do know why. They're brown. Yeah. And the women are wearing headscarves. Mm -hmm. I know exactly yeah. why. Yeah. But the same outpouring of amazing generosity did not happen in the West. No. It didn't happen. And I find that shameful. Yeah, I find it shameful and painful. Yeah. But you were asking earlier about mm. is it worse in the pandemic? Has it been worse? Mm. Sort of. I so because my training is an existential work, which loves a bit of loss and death um, and groundlessness. I think what the what the pandemic has given people is an understanding of how things can be stopped overnight. And I think that's horrible and worrying. I also think it, it can be of value. It can be of value to acknowledge the capital A anxiety, not the I'm going to miss my bus anxiety, but, you know, the, oh, I am going to die, that anxiety. The, oh, my plans may not come to fruition, that anxiety. It's really good for human beings. And in the white Wealthy, West, certainly being heterosexual helps too. Being able-bodied helps enormously. Um, we, we don't tend to look at that. And that's why we now treat anxiety as if it's a problem rather than a signal. You know, we medicate teenagers' anxiety rather than saying, oh, what's that like? Do you want to talk about that? We tell nine-year-olds that their anxiety is wrong rather than going, gosh, what's going on for you? We tell them to worry about being anxious. Anxiety is the most amazing signal. 
it tells us that we're aware that life isn't sugar-coated, that it can be problematic, that difficult things happen. That's what it does. It's not bad and wrong. But letting people feel anxiety and acknowledging that experience it can be of value is as hard as saying to people it's all right to feel angry and bitter and resentful and grief and loss. Mm, absolutely. Completely. I'm having stood in a field on Monday on mm. my birthday mm. and shouted and cried at the world, mm -hmm. literally in a, in a field. I don't quite know what passing traffic thought, but it's being aware of that feeling and saying, OK, this is this is anxiety. This is anxious. This is me angry. It's my birthday. Mm -hmm. And I've got bad memories of my birthday because it's difficult, because it's painful, because it's another year gone and I'm still not a parent. I will never be a parent. I know that now, obviously, and I completely know that. Um, that ship sailed a very long time ago. But um, yeah, I was going through sedation for egg retrieval on a birthday, my 40th, lovely, <laughs> um, great, that one. But you know, it's kind of the differences of these things, but it's still there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, my fellow Pisces, the day that I oh, was yes. told, yes, the day that I was told by that oncologist, oh, it's 80% chance of making you a fertile, oh God, I mean 70, oh God, you want children, uh, was my birthday as well. Oh, and sorry. for decades, I didn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't mm. have a birthday, I just couldn't bear it. And this year, I had, at 59, so that's what, 22 years, I had the best birthday I think I've had in all this time. Oh, I want to reach through the screen and hug you, Berenice. I want to hug you too. I'm, <laughs> gonna have to, I'm having dinner with you We're before Michael dinner, right? does. I had the best, the best birthday because I did work that I love, mm -hmm. working with clients who were who are in loss and grief and upset and and want the opportunity to share that and I so want to be there for them and they don't know that it was my birthday and that my birthday has you know bad uh, things difficult things associated with it and bad um and then me and my wife just went out for dinner we just walked up the road to Brixton where we live and we went out and to a new little place and it was so lovely because, because one of the things that all my hard things has brought me to is doing work I love. Mm. And that is fortunate. That's not, yay, I stayed alive, so lucky me. That's not, yay, I had five embryos die in me, so lucky me. That's, yay, I had the great good fortune of meeting people and talking to people and finding money to pay for therapy that got me to a place where I could build on those things rather than only be burning in pain from those things. That's huge good fortune. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still gobsmacked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's wonderful. It gives me hope for future birthdays. Because oh, I tell you, yes. I, just, I have non-birthdays now and yeah. that's okay. But it's kind of when you get the cards when I was 50. Oh, mm. happy 50th. Oh, your old cards and all the insulting ones yeah. from family who yeah. I felt actually I'd said I don't want a birthday. Not because mm -hmm. of any reason. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I'm not celebrating being 50 because mm. that's it. I've drawn a line under it. I'm now 
yeah, it's all well barren, dried up, not doing anything menopausal. Well, it is, but those of us who are studying postmenopause for our research <laughs> can tell you that so many people report that once they are through the menopausal transition, there is a different and other lease of life. And for and for cultures where they don't have access to HRT, but they do have access to cultures where older women are valued, <laughs> they don't even need the bloody HRT because they're not having hot flushes because older women are valued. I mean, seriously, I struggle so much with, in the same way that infertility is not a biomedical condition, it's a biopsychosocio-cultural experience. Menopause and postmenopause is not a biomedical thing. It's a biopsychosocio-cultural experience. And there are so many cultures in the world where older women are revered and valued. And their experience, their physical experience of menopause is different. A promise, and I'm not promising that you won't have to go through fire to get there. But I promise that, that seriously, I have done so much research in this. Yes, there are still people who hate being older. Of course there are, because we live in an ageist culture. But the majority come out the other side into what is deemed older or old age and find value in it. There are two things I want to say. The first is that if listeners aren't aware, then do you go over and watch Stella and many other people talking with Jodie Day, no more Crohn's. Yeah. But also, I have to just say one thing, and I know time is rushing away with this. Um, Kitty, Lullaby Beach. Oh. <laughs> I, I read and on the cursing the bastard developers. <laughs> I just... I just sat there going, oh, I just, I'm totally, utterly enthralled and in love oh, and so you. much feeling for mm. Kitty. She's kind of turning into sort of my, my <laughs> role model for everything. Oh, of her story, it's, go, go, go by Lullaby Beach, um, <laughs> please, it's wonderful. And I think with all of the works that you've written, sort of all the books you've written, they're just such lovely stories, but also written so much so many layers but so perfect yeah. for our community. I, I am so proud of having written two childless child-free mm. childless by circumstance whatever women in that yeah. book of two of very different generations and it's and the story not being about them not having children I'm so proud of that and it sort of came about I knew I knew Kitty wouldn't have children because I wanted her to be an aunt and I wanted that relationship and I didn't know it would also happen with one of the others. And I'm, and I just, I love, and because I don't, I don't mean the characters write it for me. Jesus, if the characters would write it for me, my life would be a damn sight easier. I have to do all the typing all by myself. It's really hard. Um, my dad was a labourer from the age of fourteen to sixty-five. It's not really hard. It's just a, a job um, that I like that I'm lucky to have. Um, I. I love that I wrote characters that are childless women and and it's complicated and layered and it's not, yay, brilliant and oh, awful. It's all the things. And I have been surprised at the amount of people who've said to me, thank you for putting that in because it, I don't think it quite occurred to me how rare that is. It's very rare. I yeah. think it's, um, yeah. 
I think the Nomo Book Club that um, we've mentioned a couple of weeks ago on social media, but we've um, the founder Lisa came to talk to us, and it's now it's changed. Who's working on it? But they were talking about that they check books. I mean, she was going through. I I find it extraordinary reading books and traffic like marking them oh, because yeah. actually triggers are in everything. Oh, and, oh, oh, yeah. and here's the miracle baby. And... I I had to meet somebody. It's an awful story where I went to a book club in Cambridge and I'd read a book by one of the attendees' daughters. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to mention it's it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's it's not fair because it's it's a well written book. It's just I have to throw it at the wall because the cure for um, childlessness and infertility was found in witchcraft. And I thought that's all just very very <laughs> um, complicated given the history of um, of absolutely. Of anyway, I I can't read this no. and I have to throw this book at the wall. And I've never done that with a book before or since, but I had to. And then I had to go to this book club and her mother was the author's mm. mother was there. Saying, Did you enjoy it? And I, no, no, I oh, did not. Well done. I could well not done. read the book. I couldn't finish it. It's not yeah. your daughter's writing and it is not my attitude. Mm -hmm. It's just that that really is quite insulting yeah. on every level. To yeah. say, and it needs a trigger yeah. warning on yeah. it. Um, really, actually, books do and should, I think, to a degree, need that on them. Mm. But Lisa mm. was reading books and traffic lighting them. And actually, when I sit and think about all the books that I've read as an English, and I've done an English literature degree, mm. Mm. and I think, not many. Yeah, and those that many. I do stand out, but actually, it's an important uh -huh. thing to do. And I just love Kitty for that, because she's not... She's just something, well, the characters in, in the book, and yeah. I'm not going to spoil it for people because you have to go and read it, is that actually they are so 3D, so real, mm. so everything. Yeah. You can pick things go, yeah, okay, you know. And I, I read about Kitty that first bit, and I actually thought about Sarah and I because mm. we're kind of like, yeah, mm. we, we're quite sweary and, and <laughs> unique and angry. And uh, and I thought there's an element of that with Brilliant. With us, my yes. friends that I know identify with that. I know that they yeah. will. Yeah. And that is important. And goodness me, it shouldn't have to be that way. But thank you for writing. Oh, thank that. you. Well, you know, Miss Havisham, she's not. Mm, you know, yes. Miss Havisham, and I think Dickens, you know, did great work, particularly around child poverty. Of course he did. But Miss Havisham is not only this terrifying character because she's a spinster. Mm. God knows it's you know, if it's hard enough for me in a re queer relationship, the difficulty of being a, a single woman and single man and wanting to be a parent in our culture that denies that from the start, anyway. Miss um, Havisham is also considered bad and wrong because she's not a mother. Miss mm. Havisham adopts Estella to turn her into this, this wicked woman. You know, Miss Havisham is everything that we have been told we will be that our bitterness if we let ourselves feel it our anger and our resentment if we let ourselves feel it will turn us into it will turn us into the ghost at the feast of our own wedding yeah. and that's a dangerous dangerous character to tell people they're going to become if they have their feelings yeah consumed by her own grief mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. very very end mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. actually she shares it well and you know it's infectious totally and what i said about coming through the fire at the end mm. she dies in the fire mm. 
right? Yes. We come through the fire of loss and pain. We don't come through unscathed. We come through covered in burn scars. And we do come through and it bloody hurts. And burn scars don't go away. Mm. They, they stop skin stretching. Mm. And it doesn't mean we can't come through. And it doesn't mean that our coming through isn't a value. But let's not pretend the scars aren't there. Yeah. I think we wear them with pride. Mm-hmm. But that is mm-hmm. difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very difficult to do. They're doing a thing, and- actually, in Cambridge where they're doing the um, whole art of, um, and I can never pronounce it, but it's about healing and art and mm. painting bodies mm. with the scars. And I looked at this, it came through, and I thought, my scars are inside. Yeah. They're inside. It's why I, you, it, I don't have a, a scar to show for this. Yeah. The infertility, there are mm. other scars, mm. but the infertility mm. is not a scar that is visible. We mm. are, you have to speak it and how we're received in when we share these things is very mixed. Very um, mixed. And, very mixed. And uh, there's also something about the scars that, you know, I don't, uh, the Japanese, is it Ikigami? The yeah. broken yeah, pot, you put it together yeah. with gold. That's a lovely analogy. But it's not always gold. Sometimes how I feel about my scars and my broken things, they're not gold, they're bloody ugly, thanks. It hasn't made my pot more beautiful. It has made my pot more complex. And there are places where I can wear a scar and it might look beautiful and golden, but there are parts of me where I am scarred that are just more complex and a bit harder. They don't, all of our scars don't have to turn into loveliness. Mm. That's a bit, I think it's a bit of a problem when it goes back to, again, the, this hero's journey idea, that the hard things we go through have to make us better. It's all right for me, you're a bit grumpy. Mm. Seriously, it's all right for me, you're a bit bloody grumpy. That's mm. okay too. Reminds me of the um, the TV show that I was just part of. I was asked to be to bring a childless man's perspective to a discussion on why young men, or not, well, I guess a, a different view, mm. because there's a lot of young men deciding to have vasectomies and they want the childless man's perspective. And one of the questions mm. that came out was, so Michael, you uh, you and your wife um, had many years of IVF. Yeah, yes, we did. Um, and we talked about the emotional roller coaster and that sort of thing. And then, she said, "So how 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 did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? How did what did that feel like?" Mm. And I just had to stop myself from laughing. It was just like, serious? "Is that a serious question?" Because well, mm-hmm. can't you figure that out for yourself? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. of course, it's a TV show. And you, you know, being of the being part of the theatre, Stella, you'll understand when something just doesn't work, and you can feel the mm-hmm. air in the place just change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Well, to be quite honest." It destroyed us. Mm. It it absolutely destroyed us to the point where we couldn't even look after ourselves, let alone mm. something else. Because following on from that was a story, the art, the thing about adoption, and um, you could feel that you could feel the room change. Mm-hmm. Could, oh my god, is a guy talking like that? Oh dear, you could feel it. You could feel the yeah. uncomfortableness. You could feel the people squirming in their seats because someone had said something real <laughs> yes you know it was, yes. it was quite interesting yes and 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 the i think it's i just think it's 
weird. I mean, I just, I yeah. genuinely think it's weird that we're not meant to say it's rubbish mm. to each other or to anyone else. Because if we do say it's rubbish, we're saying that, that other things are rubbish. We're saying that, that death is rubbish and aging is rubbish and not being physically perfect is rubbish. And we're not allowed to admit any of these things. And of course, they're all true. They're all true. And the reason they're all true is we live in a culture that lies. If we lived in a culture that said, you're all gonna die, not all bodies are made whole and easy to live in, sitting here in chronic pain as I do most days. Um, bad things are going to happen. If we lived in that culture that was honest about how it is for almost everybody, I mean, probably everybody, surely, then, then it would at least be okay. There would have been joy when you said that, Michael. It would have been like, oh, yay you. Here's some brilliant honesty. Fantastic. Tell us how it feels to feel, to speak the truth. What's that like? You know, instead of, oh, no, I just dropped a bomb by saying it was crap and destroyed us. It was interesting because it was contrasted with them. Um, there was a, a couple who had been on the similar path, IVF and everything else, um, that <laughs> when you say, why would you have a society that lies? They were, well, I hope they don't listen to this. <laughs> but... But they were, oh, yeah, look, we tried it a couple of times. It didn't work. And, but, you know, we've got two BMWs each and the spare cars are Rolls Royce. So it's, yeah, life's not too bad. And I felt myself squirming in there thinking, really? I don't want to be represented by you. Mm -hmm. I don't want mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was um, interesting. But I, yeah. that's why I'm sitting here gobsmacked with you, Stella, because... Okay, I'm not allowed to use the word wisdom, but I'm you learning can. so I just, much. I just I'm do learning. feel really young for that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning so much from you, and I'm really it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this. But you know all this. I'm just. I think I'm. You guys have done this work for a while now. You know this, right? I think it. I think all of us are doing this for each other. We're we're saying what we know to be our individual personal truths. There are threads that each of us go, yeah, that's mine too, that's mine too. And other threads that are like, no, that wasn't me, or that isn't me. And that, I think, I don't, seriously, I have no idea where I'm going with this, but I'm gonna keep saying it, because I think, <laughs> I think I'm saying something that means something. You're in the right place, Stella, don't worry. You're in the right place. You know what, I, cool. I, do, I do this with clients as well, poor things, and they look at me and they go, oh shit, I thought this have been fixed. I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm as lost here as you are. But if I can try and pull some threads out. So I think that what this does, what this, the various communities that have, that we are all creating, around our variations on infertility. What they're doing is they're going, look, it's this massive, wide, expansive thing. It's not just one story. It's not just it, it one size fits all. There are so many variations on this. And we're, oh, okay, now I know where I'm going. Because I feel like I'm about to cry. We're all allowed in. We're all allowed in. And each of us will have a totally different version because every human being is different. And when, when I nod at, at your egg retrieval was horrible, 
I'm still nodding, thinking of my retrieval, right? Which is why empathy doesn't quite work ever for anybody because the minute we place it back in our own bodies we're feeling our own thing not someone else's thing Mm -hmm. and that's when they go they then you know for them I mean they go as a mother I really feel this and since I became a father I look at other people's children I'm like no you're not you're thinking of your own kids Mm -hmm. you're literally not being empathetic because the child that you're thinking about is your kid and I do it too I put it back into my body because we do, because we are embodied creatures. So I feel my loss in my body. You feel yours in yours. Each one of us does, and they are different. And the physical experiences around all of this, because so much of this involves invasive physical procedures and difficult physicalities. And we come back to this body that we are, and everybody is individual and alone inside our bodies. But as we said, when we speak it, we begin to see that there's a thread with another human being. And it's only in speaking, and that's why this podcast is so valuable, that's why this kind of work is so valuable. It is only in speaking it that we begin to not only hear other people's truths and go, yep, a bit of that's mine, I can pull that thread, but we sometimes hear our own truth and someone else gets to go, yeah, a bit of that's mine. And we get to create a woven thing with loads of big holes in it because not one no one person's ever going to have some other person's experience but the woven thing we're creating is connecting and human beings like connecting we like connecting it's one of the reasons it's such a loss to not connect in the way that we have been trained is the only way to connect traditional nuclear family Mm. we like connecting and we who are queer have been practicing connecting with chosen families for longer than new heterosexual people. And what our infertility community gives us is another type of chosen family. That's wonderful. Mm. Thank you, Stella. Thank you so very much for coming on our podcast. We're (laughs) absolutely thrilled. There's so, yes, you're right. There are so many threads and connections and actually so much power. Mm-hmm. maybe it's not wisdom wisdom is the wrong word but it's the powerful i'm just i'm just of scared of it that's do. all i'm just scared of wisdom i know yeah it, it, I, it, mean, it means i have to stay smart and i will so fuck up the next time i speak right i mean i am i am not not at a place where i where i can can risk opening my mouth and not screwing up immensely um but but i think yeah power power in the connections they're mm. really and sometimes they're gossamer thin and it's, oh, that person's a teeny tiny bit like me. But sometimes that's that's more than we've ever felt before. Yeah. And it makes all the difference. Yeah. When I said to um, a business community that mm-hmm. I belong mm-hmm. to um, called Drive the Network, they're absolutely brilliant. They sort of kept me going. And actually they've been brilliant because they've allowed me the space um, with other parents in the group um, to say, actually, childlessness, you know, mm-hmm. I've had failed IVF this is what I've been through um PTSD and all the other crap that Mm. comes with it you know and I'm still learning Mm. um and they give me the space to do that and I said to them the other day um in passing Stella Duffy coming on the podcast and I oh my god really yes yes I said you know and I was just thinking I was sort of you know with Michael and Sarah going but that just sort of popped it on that you know and I 
oh and I just said yeah because 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 that's kind of like how it rocks you know I mm-hmm. wouldn't be having mm-hmm. this conversation mm-hmm. and doing what we're doing and I wouldn't be friends with Michael and thinking mm-hmm. about going on a cargo boat to Australia Michael I'm still thinking about that <laughs> and Sarah and I are planning a day out soon um mm-hmm. hopefully and probably hopefully having dinner with you as well Stella um, Every, we're gonna get there. Brixton, <laughs> yeah, and we are we're totally yeah and we'll get there first because Michael's in Australia yeah. and um and actually that's just an amazing thing because you think oh that's 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 a lovely benefit and the strength and you go back to this when you first started talking this this morning about the competitiveness of mothers and how mm. mums net rips them apart that's so rare I mean it does happen in our community let's be honest we're not all saints we suddenly didn't suddenly sort of agree on this thing and we don't all have the same beliefs and there have been upsets and upheavals behind the scenes with some of our community leaders and we're not I had used that word loosely leaders Mm. but you know that whole idea of that we're all perfect Mm. that actually you know we we're we're humans and we bitch like everybody else does Mm. but actually those ties that we have and those upsets can be really difficult to handle because the friendships are so deep those threads that we will pull on connect us but they connect us in a way that's lifelong that will never change because this is our life yeah um absolutely i was riffing i'm not sure where i went with that but that's where i'm stopping because we're we're threaded and we're connected that's it yeah thank you that's where you went yeah, tar. Yeah. yeah, that was it. <laughs> so, what's what's next for for you, Stella? Um, well, as I said, I'm uh, in the third year of this this doctorate, which will take four years, maybe five, maybe eight. I've got a, I've got up to eight years, um, and I hope to begin my participant interviews uh, in the next few months. I have I don't know what I'm going to find out about the embodied experience of postmenopause. Um, but I am hoping that some of the learning that those of us who've been postmenopausal for longer um, can, can bring will be useful um, to this that. And what's interesting is I've, I've already been asked to speak about this quite a lot because while there's a lot about the um, physiological uh, experiences, I'm trying really hard not to say symptoms, I really mind that menopause is currently being turned into a condition we, we got good at not calling pregnancy a condition. We got good at not calling puberty a condition. We got good at call, not calling periods a condition. I mind enormously that menopause is being treated like a condition that just needs medicalizing. Um, it's a thing that happens in, in cisgendered female bodies. That's what it is. Let's live with that, work out what it is, and then move on. Um, anyway, so I'm beginning to... And I've been, I've been menopausal twice, once at 36 with, with chemotherapy. And then once it sort of just came back at about 52 and went, hi, I've, I've come back for a bit. Uh, this is probably the age you were going to be. And I've just thought I'd arrive with some hot flushes and some nights where it's hi. Um, anyway, it was just, that was like, oh, thanks. Thank you so much. Well done, body. Anyway, um, so this, that, there's developing my psychotherapy practice, I, I'm really, I haven't done this yet. I'm beginning to look at maybe running some groups. I trained in yoga teaching because I am teaching yoga for writers. And I have a story in my head that there is something around bringing together yoga and psychotherapy and creativity 
for adults. We do physical work in psychotherapy for children. We do creativity work in psychotherapy for children. Adults are supposed to just sit there, feel things, say things. Um, and I, I'm sure there are ways of doing this. I don't know how yet, and I probably need a lot more practice, but I'm keen one day to do that. I have a, have a vision of a therapy space that has yoga mats, paints, Play-Doh, a sand tray, and some lovely comfortable chairs and sofas for grown-ups. Um, that's my longer-term dream. And I'm finishing a novel, apparently. Uh, you know, my, my publishers are like, look, whenever you get it done, Stella will be fine, because they know that the doctorate's kind of taken over. And I, I you know, I just, I do feel fortunate. I have, I, my life has had sort of new jobs every decade. In my 20s, I was an actor, and in my 30s, I was mostly a writer, but an actor a bit. And in my 40s, I was mostly a director and a bit of a writer and a bit of an actor. And in my 50s, I ran fun palaces. And then in my 60s, I'm going to be a therapist. And maybe I'll be a therapist forever and ever, just like now we are six. I don't know. We'll see. But maybe I can bring them all together somehow. I love it. I love it. I love the work. I'm, I feel very lucky. I even love the research. I, I might be becoming an academic in my old age. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. I, I, wanted, I, I, I wanted to wish you all the luck, but I know you don't need it. The reason I say that is because mm. one of the things that saved Vicky and I was going to a therapist that that had experience. She had had the experience of loss, mm. pain. She'd lost her husband. She'd lost a daughter. And that made all the difference. I'm getting emotional myself now. Yeah. <clears throat> that made all the difference. Absolutely. So you're going to be bloody brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, I had a, I had a um, just very quickly, I had a supervisor who was a bit horrified because I said one of my clients Googled me and this is what came up. And he went, well, well, how did she find out those things? I mean, it's how the internet works. I'm a fairly young guy, right? I mean, that's how the internet works. And he went, I think perhaps you need to close all of those accounts. And I went, even if I did... The internet doesn't stop having stuff about an interview I did 20. That doesn't go away. That's right. And, and he was quite old school for a fairly young guy. And he was like, but they shouldn't know this. And I was like, well, I, that's weird to me. That's weird. I can yeah. only bring myself, right, Sarah? We can only bring ourselves. Yeah. We don't have anything else to bring. No. Why wouldn't we share that if we've got that lived experience and people are looking for us for that yeah. experience? So why wouldn't we share? It's it's It's... It's part of who I am, just like my arts work is part of who I am. Just, just like being the youngest of seven kids is part of who I am. It, yeah, I think all of us, whatever we end up doing, and this, you know, this shows through in, in my writing, we can only bring who we are. There's nothing else. So we bring who we are and we hope it works. Oh, you're awesome. You're, <laughs> you're all awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a gorgeous Sunday morning. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, yeah. All I've got right now is wow. Thanks, Stella. And if you want to find out more about Stella and her work, jump over to stelladuffy.blog where you can find all the correct information. And please reach out to us if you have a burning topic we haven't covered or you might want more information on the content of this episode or you may have an idea that we haven't thought of. So please reach out to us. And you can find out all our contact details at www.thefools.pod.com.
And as always, it's important for us to let you know you are not alone. Thank you for wanting me. It's lovely to be wanted. <laughs> desperately, absolutely wanted. Well, can, can I just you. can I just tell you a little secret, Stella? Yeah, go on. The reason I had to write to you because the other two were just total fangirls and just couldn't do it. That's why I've been so quiet. <laughs> it's just like soaking it all up. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious! How brilliant. Okay, so you know better now. You've got my email address. So go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, we have. We know you now. <laughs> oh, that's, so, that's so cool. All right, my loves. Gorgeous thank to see you. you. Lovely. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you very much for having me for so long. Bye. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye. 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 Can't wait for dinner. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just went really quiet. I was like, I can't. I can't.